Good morning. Welcome to Elam's online service. Our scripture lesson today is from the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, and had brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, and to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, At last, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Let's pray. Father God, this is your word. I pray that you would bless it today. And Father, as we look at this issue of marriage, I pray that you would strengthen our hearts and minds uh, to see the pictures that you have for us there. And Lord, to uh, see the unnatural ways that uh, people are twisting it around us, we pray against those that uh, marriage would be uplifted as you have determined it to be. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we are starting a new uh, foundational triad, and we're going to be talking about uh, the family, uh, the Christian family, uh, the pictures that are in it that uh, point us to God and the church, and uh, today we're going to be looking at marriage itself. Marriage has been under attack since God instituted it at the dawn of mankind, and the following is just a short list of uh, the attempts to undermine this holy institution. First of all, polygamy. Originally, marriage was supposed to be the union between one man and one woman. And in ancient times, those who became wealthy uh, through uh, land ownership would typically marry multiple wives in order to expand their clan. And this is a very common practice, even as seen in the Old Testament. Jacob had two wives that were sisters. And it's unclear whether God was displeased with polygamy, But we must consider God's anger towards Solomon in 1 Kings 11. He said, You must not intermarry with them, meaning the wives of the nations around him, because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. The practice of polygamy was formally banned at the end of the Roman Empire. Concubines. In the case of both Jacob and Solomon, they had concubines, and for Jacob they were the handmaidens of Rachel and Leah. These women did not have the same status or rights as the wives, but they were in an ongoing sexual relationship with the man of the house. In the modern era, the term mistress is used to describe this kind of relationship. Any children that are born as a result of this adulterous union would be seen as illegitimate, which is part of the reason why God is against it. Forced marriage as children. 
On the website Girls Not Brides, it is estimated that about 15 million girls worldwide are married each year before the age of 18. This occurs predominantly in the Arabian Middle East, Africa, Asia, and South America. In these areas, the fathers closely control girls, and because the honor of the family is related to the daughter's virginity, marrying off them off as soon as they enter puberty, puberty greatly reduces the chances of sexual misconduct before marriage. Divorce. It is clear from Malachi 2.16 that God is against particular kinds of divorce. It says, The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one that he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Notice the admonition here is to the man. Because down through history, it has been predominantly husbands who have instigated divorce. And most divorce laws have been put into place to protect the wives from being left destitute after being abandoned by their husband. Today in America, about 50% of marriages end in divorce, although that statistic is going down because more and more people are cohabitating without getting married. Same-gender marriage. Before the Christian era, same-sex unions and even marriages were not unheard of. In the Roman Empire, Nero was married to men on a few different occasions. But after the Catholic Church was established and began to weigh in on marital issues, the practice became outlawed. That is, until April 1st, 2001, when the Netherlands became the first country to legalize marriages that were between people of the same gender. Obviously, the floodgates have poured open in the 16 years since, and now in America, every, all 50 states have at least some kind of marital union between gender, uh, the same gender couples. And so let's look now at the ritual of marriage. Because uh, God chose Israel uh, to show himself to the world, it is necessary to look at the customs that were followed by the ancestors of the modern Jews. In ancient Israel, the modern wedding as we have it now is totally foreign. It would look odd to them, actually. In fact, the synagogue was not even involved in the ceremony. According to Steve Rudd, a commentary contributor of the Interactive Bible, says that there were three stages to getting married. First was the contract, or it was called the ketubah. A woman would choose her husband in cooperation with her parents, and then both the father and the groom would sign the ketubah contract. At this point, the couple was betrothed, and in fact, it would take a divorce to separate them because it was a legally binding contract. No sexual relations took place during the betrothal period, which could last up to seven years, as is seen in the case of Jacob when he's working for Leah and then Rachel. The second stage was the hoopah. This was the consummation of the marriage. After an agreed-upon bride price uh, that had been saved by the groom or a dowry, a date was set for him to come to the house of the bride's family. The bride waited for the groom's arrival in a room with her bridesmaids. And upon the groom's arrival, the groomsmen would blow the shofar or the ram's horn. The family and the guests would wait outside the room and they would celebrate 
after the sexual consummation had taken place. So imagine that pressure. You have to go in and have your first night of sexual relations with the whole family and guests waiting out in the uh, living room there, I guess. The groom would then exit the room with the bloodstained cloth that was provided to the bride uh, to lay underneath them, and this bloodstained cloth would prove her virginity and would show as a witness. Uh, she would pick a witness to show it to, and then that cloth would be kept by the bride for safekeeping as uh, legal proof of her faithfulness. The final stage was the wedding feast. After the consummation uh, of the wedding, the entire wedding party would take a walk and process to the groom's home that he had prepared for his bride. And then a great feast would be served, and this would be the end of the marriage ritual. There was no official wedding service that was held as we've seen it today. Now let's look at Jesus in the midst of the Jewish ceremony. It becomes very clear to us as we look at this ceremony that God designed marriage to give us a beautiful symbol of our relationship with him. Revelation 19.7 describes the relationship of Christ to the church as between a husband and the bride. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. First we see the ketubah has been established between Jesus and the Father and in order for the church to become his betrothed. We see Jesus' desire for this expressed in John 17, 24, where he says, Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. But there was a particular bride price or dowry that must be paid to secure his wife. And we see that dowry described in Ephesians 5.25, where it says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her. And so his life is the bride price. He lays down his life for the bride. And so a date has been set by the father, because the dowry has been paid. And at this time in history, we are waiting for that day. The parable of the ten virgins describes it this way. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And so Jesus, the groom, has been a long time in coming. But someday soon we are going to hear that great trumpet, the shofar blast that signals his arrival. And he will come for his bride and enter the hoopah to consummate the marriage. And this is called the judgment seat of Christ. In Is the bride pure? Or will she be stoned in the morning? Because that's what happened to women who were not found pure. They would be taken out and stoned by the family. Now, the interesting thing that happens in regards to the blood of the virginity cloth is that actually his blood, Jesus' blood, has made the church a clean virgin, as seen in Ephesians 1.7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And so it is by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony that we have overcome. 
and the Father and the Holy Spirit are witnesses to the purity of the bride. Now the procession to the groom's house begins. And this is the house that Jesus promised that he was going to prepare for them, for his disciples, when he ascended into heaven after his resurrection from the dead. And he's been preparing this place for you, his bride. When we arrive, the wedding feast then begins, and we see this recorded in Revelation 19, 7-9. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, pure and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Now let's speak for a moment about how we ritualize marriage and why we do it. In 1184, the ceremony of matrimony became an official sacrament of the Catholic Church in reaction against the Catharnostics, who stated that marriage and procreation were evil, and in fact anything physical was evil. And still today, as we uh, see around us, there continues to be an attack on marriage, which needs to be defended against by the universal church. And this is why we promote marriage that is ordered in a specific way. Listen to a portion of the AFLC's doctrinal statement on marriage and sexuality. We believe that God wonderfully and immutably creates each person as male and female. These two distinct complementary genders together reflect the image and nature of God. Genesis 1, 26-27. Rejection of one's biological sex is a rejection of the image of God within that person. We believe that the term marriage has only one meaning, the unity between one man and one woman in a single exclusive union, as delineated in Scripture, Genesis 2, 18-25, which we just read. We believe that God intends sexual intimacy to occur only between a man and a woman who have married each other. And we believe that God has commanded that no intimate sexual activity be engaged in outside of a marriage between a man and woman. And so polygamy does not reflect this because we have only one God, unlike Solomon who was led astray by many foreign gods. As the great Shema, or the saying, declares, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the, our God, the Lord is one. Concubines and mistresses do not reflect his bride because God is going to make us heirs to the throne, and those who do not have a legal ketubah contract cannot be heirs. Eric Hyde, in his blog on Orthodox Christianity, elaborates on the difference between the bride and the mistress. Grace is the power to become the bride of Christ, not a mistress. The bride has mutual affection for the husband, and that love produces works of love. She guards herself from other lovers or idols. She cares for those things which the husband cares for, and she actively, actively pursues her husband. Forced child marriage does not reflect uh, this picture because Jesus is coming for his mature bride. We see this in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so 
Jesus is coming for his mature bride. And finally, same-sex marriage does not reflect the marriage between Jesus and his church because it puts the bride on equal grounds with the groom. Clearly, in the establishment of human marriage, the husband was to be the head of the house, which was accurate reflection of Christ as the head of the church. Homo is the Greek word meaning same or equal. And this was and continues to be Satan's great sin. He said, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like, equal to, the Most High. Isaiah 14, 14. In conclusion this morning, marriage is worth defending. It is a symbol that God has given us as humans to reflect the relationship that he desires with his bride, the church. And Satan obviously hates anything that shows God's design and the glory that he wants to show through it. And so he actively is trying to water down the significance of marriage to the point where people even wonder if marriage is a legitimate institution anymore. As salt and light in the earth, I believe that we must stand up for biblical marriage, knowing that God's design is always best for mankind. If we let the devil run over us on this issue, then there are many more issues that will fall, including traditional families where parents raise the kids, euthanasia of the elderly, and finally, the freedom to worship God in a public setting. As a nation, we have departed from God's design for marriage. And now the church is succumbing to the pressure and sanctioning these unholy matrimonies. Let us bolster ourselves as a congregation and as the Free Lutheran Church to battle for God's ideal in the decades ahead. As a side note, some might say that we should uphold marriage within the church, but not interfere with the politics of marriage in the public arena, because then we would be legislating morality. But note in Proverbs 14.34 that it states, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. As Christians, we believe that right living is living in accordance with God's command. That's what righteousness means. And so the further away from these commands a society strays, the quicker its decline. That is why, as Chuck Colson draws attention to in his book, Being the Body, early Christians were thrown to the lions. They dared to take a stand against the notion that Caesar was Lord. We are essentially daring to say that Caesar, or our government, does not have the authority to define marriage. Only the creator of marriage can do that. And so, as his people, we must continue to defend the marriage that he set forth in his word. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you would help us to defend this institution as it reflects the perfect picture of our relationship with you. And I pray that you would give us the strength and the wisdom to do so. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.